Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Guidance is internal. Ignition sequence starts. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Permission to board, please. Permission to come aboard. Permission to board. Permission to board. Do I have some permission to board that sweet mothership? This is the Permission Granted Podcast. Here's DA. All right, welcome inside the Permission Granted Podcast, everybody. This is the show about the show, the show within the show. We've got a good PGP for you today. As always, you can download the show, the PGP, by going to iTunes, searching Permission Granted. Also, you can listen to it on the normal DA show iTunes feed when you listen to the rest of the show's episodes. Subscribe and leave a comment. That'll help other people find it as well. So Mraz joins me now. And Mraz, this has been a big week. Uh, As I mentioned on the show on Wednesday, Brand New Nomad this week revolves around the protester outside our offices that's been there for now. This is week number four. 25 days, I believe, he's been down there, parked out, parked in his car, <laughs> living out of his car. I don't know what he eats, when he sleeps, I suppose, at night when the parking regulations are are no, no, no longer in effect. But somehow, I don't know what he's protesting, but he's protesting down there for a full month that I, I did a docu-series about him. This is a very unique nomad. How yes. lo- By the way, just this is very naive of me because I haven't clicked it. How long of an episode are we looking at here? 11 minutes. Okay, 11 minutes documenting four weeks. I mean, you're really giving Netflix a run for their money here with the nomad. That's what I'm trying for. Yeah, I'm trying to make it like a real TV show. I like it. I like it. I'm pumped up to watch it. So that's this week's Nomad. We highly encourage you to go check it out and subscribe as well because this guy has been outside for a month and he's kind of protesting sports a little bit and he kind of wants to be on the radio and I guess he's got a connection to Bart and and Maggie. I guess Bart Scott and Maggie Gray, this is only, I'm getting this from Bogish, may have offered to take him out to dinner. I believe Bart went out to lunch with him. Okay. But... Not just them two, Bart had to have some kind of security guard with him or something of that nature. That seems to be the buzzing rumor around here. So check out the man behind the protests in this week's episode of Nomad, available on YouTube. Also, I filled in for the Jim Rome show on Tuesday. That was a lot of fun. Bart actually joined me on that show, had a lot of fun with him. But I was glad to be back in the chair on a Wednesday and now for the foreseeable future. And I'm sitting in the studio, and midway through the show... Mikey B, the producer, Mike Baseglia of Taz and the Moose, comes in and goes, Shep is in the building. As though he had just seen Sasquatch. <laughs> like, I got to tell you, Shep. And I said, what What do you mean? He goes, I, I just saw Dave Shepard. I said, you just saw Dave Shepard? He said, yeah, just Shep is in the building. I've seen him. As though, again, he had just seen like a ghost, an alien, a Sasquatch, or Loch Ness Monster. 
Right, and the equivalent would be if some kind of free agent walked into a bill, a team facility, and there happened to be somebody that called Woj or Schefter to be like, "Hey, you wouldn't believe who's here." <laughs> That's how that news leaks. It's like, oh, this is going to be stunning. This is going to be a Woj bomb. It was going to be a Woj bomb. It's a CBS Woj bomb. Mikey B. No lie said, "I never get to break news. I'm so happy I got to break news. This was breaking news." For those familiar with the DA show, you know the name Shep before because he has appeared on PGPs before. Shep was one of the producers of the Scotty Farrell extravaganza. Okay? On the bench. Farrell on the bench. Farrell on the bench. Nights, 10 until 2, 10 p.m. Eastern till 2 a.m. Eastern here on CBS Sports Radio. He used to precede us when we did the overnights or follow us when we did the evenings. Shep then left to become a teacher, I believe, for Teach for America in the Memphis Central School District. And Correct. I think you interviewed him before he left or maybe even while he was there for well, a PGP. No, I interviewed him right before he left, and I went out to lunch with Shep while he was there. Ah, uh, yes. And, you know, explained You went you know, to where Memphis for what? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. While he was there, he came up for a week, and oh, I met him okay. for lunch in the city. I okay. did not go to Memphis. Okay, no. so I... Had, I the moment Shep left from Memphis, I knew I was never going to see him in Memphis. I had caught up with Shep as well for lunch before he left. And we kind of joked like, did Shep get shanked yet? Because the Memphis school districts are some of the worst of the country, so they needed you know, teachers like Shep to go in there and try to... And you said when you met with him midway through this kind of series of... Um, Life-altering of, events? And semesters, he was he was at the end of his rope with some of these kids. Yeah, it felt like it. It felt like his his heart was in the right place, but it felt like a losing battle. It mm. really did. At least that was the personal read I got on. An uphill battle. Well, so Shep was back in the building. Rumors had it that Shep was looking at returning, which is a triumphant return. We had is, some salary cap space available. We had some salary cap space available. Although the job has been filled now on Scotty Farrell's show, so who knows where it fits, but a little bit like Gary Payton returning to the Sonics to, re to retire as a member of the Sonics, Shep returns home to retire as a member of CBS Sports Radio, and Dave Shepard joins us now. Shep, how you doing? I'm doing great. You know, I'm big fans of you and, and Mraz, and I'm so happy for your success. Uh, Mraz has taken off. He's like a comic. Really has. Oh, huh? my God. You talk about a Producing guy a second show. Yes. Doing some hosting. Yes. How, how uh, from a host perspective, how are you dealing with this? Because obviously his responsibilities are now split. Yeah, I have been worried every step of the way that he would uh, end up, because we know work ethic is not one of his, his great strengths. Never has been. That he would drop the ball more often. Now, I will say, I don't think he's dropping the ball more often. Right. Um, so that's been good, but he's on a tight leash right now. Not dropping the ball more often. Uh, yeah, that's code word for he continues to drop the ball, just not any more than he usually does. Yeah, it hasn't been higher than before. I mean, we had no guests on Monday, but right. we've had no guests before. <laughs> so We have right. Shep on the podcast now, so <laughs> things are right. going well. But uh, I am very happy for his success, and I'm happy to see you back here in the uh, in the studios. So have you signed a full-time uh, like a full-time contract with us or are you returning for to be a starter to be a role player what's going to go go on here so i'm more of like an instructional spring training guy okay right so you're like garth brooks in spring training you and <laughs> you put me in the same sentence as garth brooks you already got my head big coming oh, in this oh, room oh right there's uh, the fake accent <laughs> oh right all right we always know chef has yeah. that good southern accent coming yeah. from connecticut no but yeah well now it's a, now it's legitimate but 
Uh, so, so for me, right, you got to, you know, I tell my students this all the time. People have jobs, people have careers, and then people have a purpose. And if you can align your job and career with your purpose, you're a very lucky human being. And I was able to do that. Fortunately, I was able to start a sports broadcasting club. We became the largest club in, in the high school, Memphis. Oh yeah. Oh. Oh yeah. Oh, cool. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. And I, you know, I could basically pretend like I knew sports. I can't get away with that uh, with you guys. Yeah, you were like the expert to those right. kids. Oh, yeah. But then right. in reality, right now, now I'm back in the major leagues. Yeah, that's right. But it's it's so you know my, my school shut down. Uh, oh, they shut down your school. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna continue in Memphis. Oh, I thought you were up and leaving because you were worried about your mental health. No, my mental health was at an all-time high. Really? Wow, to be honest is, with you, you know why? Great. Because you know why? Because I got I, bad info. So I Mraz, stopped dating. I stopped dating. That's what it was. That was killing you down there. You were not dating well. I, no, I, I was. I was not dating well here. I, I was. <laughs> I was the backup to a backup in terms of girls and apps. And and you guys know. I mean, hey, by the way, and I, I don't mean to bring up anything that may be painful. <laughs> I know you're happily married, Mraz. Are you still seeing that beautiful girl? Get married. Yeah, engaged. Get married this fall. Uh, I don't want to be same girl. Yes. No, of course, of course. Uh <laughs> I'm kind of kidding, but I'm not. Is there a wedding invitation coming somebody's way? Not yours. Whoa. Okay. No, no, not okay. yours. The brass stones on no. him. He's been back an hour. He walked back in the... I've seen Shep right. now for one hour. Right. And now he's already asking for the invite to the wedding. But no, you're not going to be invited. Okay. Mraz and the guys are. <laughs> who, are the, who are the guys? Ah. All the guys of the show. Mraz, right. Bogues, uh, Bilotti. Jody. No, Jody. Boy. So I don't feel bad, Ben. I love Shep just pressing DA about the invite <laughs> list here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so let's get back to you. So you were not. <laughs> you, you, you're the thing. You were you not, are more interesting than I am, DA. That's you're, true. You're, you're, but right. th- th- this is about you. Right, so right. you were you were not dating well down there. You were single. You were hard up for chicks. Well, so everybody. Yeah. So everybody my age. So I was thirty years old, obviously, and, and then eventually thirty-one. That's how it goes. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's how it goes. <laughs> they they were all uh, married, divorced, and pregnant. Or in a very, very committed relationship. So at 31 years old, you're a dinosaur in terms of dating world. Dating in the the south yeah. western Tennessee right. area. And and we're talking the, the, the Delta. Yeah, I mean we're not talking Atlanta, Florida, we're talking the deep south. So also, you know, you you are consumed by what you do as a teacher. So I was not dating. So my life was so fulfilled because you have such a purpose. And in sports, that's difficult. If you can find a purpose in sports, that's magical, given how difficult this business is, given how it's judged on ratings, not the quality of a person you are, which is kudos to you (laughs) and Scotty, the fact that y'all have been so successful and the fact that you are both very nice, good-natured human beings. It's very kind of you, Shep. It's always good to get the compliments from you. Feels good to have you back here on the show um, because you make, other, be back. you make other people feel good. So you were actually, though, happy at an all-time high because you were not dating. I, I was because not. You, weren't getting, you weren't getting that rejection that you used to get, and so you were just fulfilled because you had a purpose in your career and yes. teaching. And yes. then you're, they just shut down a public school? So we were, so we were part of something called the uh, Achievement School District. And so uh, not to get into too many details and throw anybody under the bus, but let me just put it this way because I'll remain as professional as I possibly can oh, be. Jeez. People... <laughs> do not care about education, 
particularly minorities in this country. Generally speaking, or in that particular school district you found? Every district. Okay. Every district. Um, there is a, and I'm not talking about my school, I'm just talking about the state of education. I, I, I can go into this for hours and hours, but you guys Please are limited don't. on your time. Yeah, I, I got about I two minutes <laughs> I before I get to my other job. I know, I know. So, so, so there is an intentional effort to keep education the way it is, to keep it archaic, to keep it obsolete, and to particularly keep minorities in a position where they are oppressed. And this is not a theory. I can back this up with data and information. I can pull a David Fisdale right now and say, take that for data. Nice sports reference. Thank that is good. Wow, that's Corny, but good. Thank Effective. you. So Thank you've you. got to go here soon. Do you have any last-second questions you want to ask? Um. Because I'm going to sit with Shep here. I just, I, if we can get into making sure he's in a position now moving back where bed bugs won't be in his right. future. Maybe we can get to that later, but it seems like you guys got a lot going on here. So that's it. I just, the bed bugs to me were an ongoing saga on the DA show. <laughs> I need to make sure coming back to New York, there will be no bed bugs to follow. Okay, we'll get into that. I'm glad I could be of service for you. Okay. Mraz, thank you for having me, sir, and congratulations on everything you're doing. I look forward to seeing what you do in the near future as well. <laughs> you too, Shep. Congratulations on your success as well. Thank you, man. Shep always talks like a patriot. It's amazing. Great coach. Great motivator. He's just a great New England patriot. So you saw in your school district that the state funding for inner city schools was never going to rise to the point where you could enhance education. And so from your standpoint, you saw legislators and government officials, you thought purposefully want to keep education low to what? To to make sure, well, what, what's, the, what's the end goal there? Just simply they didn't have the money so they didn't care about putting it into the inner cities? So the, the biggest, exactly, I mean, the biggest uh, donation, donators, I should say, are Bill and Melinda Gates. And they donate, Oh, probably hundreds of millions of dollars. It would have taken to public a, schools to, as well to charter schools, public schools, absolutely all across the country, all across the country. And so they have a relationship with Memphis. And so there are people in Memphis that were conduits to our school, did not do anything. Yet, if you look at the majority of schools in places like Syracuse, Fairfield County, et cetera, they're putting in over a million dollars just to have a second turf. In terms of practicing for lacrosse and football, we did not have a library. We did not have a football team. Well, those we are haves have... and have-nots. Are those schools right. that are putting in second turfs, are they getting their money from Bill and Melinda Gates? No. So they're getting money from private donors. But the reality... That live in that area right, and right. are connected to that school right, but, but, or alumni but, of that school. But a lot of, people, a lot of people look at Memphis. Now, Memphis is the third highest murder rate in the country. I also worked in a, dis- in a zip code that was one of the top five poorest zip codes in the country. But yet there is some affluence and wealth in Memphis, and no one was willing to lift a finger to help out our school. We were the highest achieving school uh, in the achievement school district. So there's only five schools, but all four of those remained intact, and we got shut down. Even though you were the highest rated school in terms of achievement. Right, because remember, schools have to make a profit. This is a numbers game. It's a profit. Not a lot of people get into charter schools, particularly going into areas that are underserved, but particularly work with minorities. How does a school turn a profit? Um, there's Where's all, your revenue coming in from? Right. I mean, that, that's, that's a great question. So it comes in the form of grants, right? So when you get grants from the government, and it can, it can come from a multitude of, of grants, but you basically determine your own salary. So as, as a teacher, 
um, you're mandated to you can only, you have to make a minimum, but you can't make more than a certain amount either. If you are a founder of a school, you can make as much money as you want. You just have to have a you have to be very well written in terms of grants, and you have to have a good relationships with people that work at the local government level. So there's a huge profit that comes with schools, huge. I'm guessing especially charter schools that yeah. don't have to work through governmental legislation of towns and right. states and counties and right. cities right. But and public school stuff. Now, now, also, but the problem with charter schools is people that run charter schools are not actually in the area. They're not even in the area. Like, we have, we have charter schools in Memphis, and the people that are the CEOs of the school are in Canada. Explain that to me. So, obviously, I don't have any answers to right. this. So, that's a rhetorical question. Right. Explain that to me. Right, exactly. Um, I figured you might, though. So you saw from the inside a broken public education system. Well, yeah. Now, so what a lot of schools have done is public education, also known as neighborhood schools, have failed. And so it was a brilliant idea in theory is you create um, your own school, when the, and they eventually were called charter schools, and they're different curriculums from what the state mandates, even though you're still obligated to take the same test. So instead of having a public school, you have like a science and engineering school, yeah. right? Or you have like a vocational school, or you have like a, an acting school, or a singing school, or a musical arts school. And that's what a lot of charter schools have tried to do. Now the problem is, it's all based on funding, and there's, it, there's, um, there's so many schools now that are being produced in this country that they're basically just nullifying each other. So you've come back to New York, and you're going to still remain teaching. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to do something in, in education because the reality is a, an average ACT score, which is the biggest determining factor in getting into college now, is about a 28, 29, 30. If you look at schools in the inner city schools, the average score is about an 18. So there's no private tutoring. There's no. There's no. There's basically no sports. There's no extracurricular activities, and the problem is people don't care enough. And then what happens? And you've heard this term before: is there's a prison, there's a school to prison pipeline. When more than half of the American population who are, uh, imp- you know, I should say incarcerated are African-American, yet African-American males only make up 3% of the population. So is that because African-American males are inferior? Is it because they're dumber? No, it's because there's a system set up to put them in the jail system. And that's why it's so important that in this business that it's so um, transformative and it's so inspirational to see African-American males succeed. In sports? In sports broadcasting. Because that, that's, that's much more of a rarity than, you know, obviously succeeding on the field. That's why I'm so happy for Bart. I was really happy for Brian Jones. And they are tremendous role models. The problem is our kids in these inner city schools, they see rappers. They can name you who Jay-Z is. They can name you who Michael Jordan is. They can't tell you who Ben Carson is. They can't tell you who Colin Powell is. All they can tell you about Obama is that he's the first black president. They couldn't tell you the first thing about Obamacare. But they know that in private schools, though. Okay, so you are going to remain teaching and education. It's very close to your heart. And so what are you going to do around here at CBS? So what I love to do, D.A., is I would eventually love, love to host an NBA show. I love the NBA. I bleed the NBA. I come with scorching hot opinions, as you always allude to. Always scorching. Yes, yes. Okay, so you're trying to get back on the air. But you I, never were on the air here. I mean, I, I was like a morass for Pharrell. Yes, right. That's so right. I, I was like a, a, a relatively big contributor. But I, I will tell you this: I believe that I have the talent. I believe I have the drive, and I believe I have the acumen. You know, um, the wonderful programmer director Eric. He always says poke, always says poke. You know, Which passionate, is... opinionated, knowledgeable, right, and entertaining. Okay, I haven't heard that from him. Well, that's because <laughs> you don't need to hear. It. You're already so, DA. 
Okay, poke. That's a good one. Yes. Okay. Uh, you should you should bring that up with him. <laughs> okay. So you're getting your foot back in the door. Are you going to work on Pharrell's show? Yeah, every every now and again. I mean, that's that's the that's kind of the main reason why I came back, just to you know continue and build in that relationship because I love that man. He's done a lot for my life. There's no one else like Scott Pharrell. It's tough to get a word in sometimes, but there's no one else like Scott Pharrell. Did you reach out to him and you said, "Hey, Scotty, the school is closing up. Do you have something for me?" I reached out to uh, uh, Marinette because um, our assistant program director. Yeah, because you know he's the guy that has. Um, you know, the authority there. I just let Scott know that my goal is to talk NBA and to be an NBA host. And DA, I'm telling you something. It will ha- it, it will happen. Well, I, One look, day I'm going to be on your show as an NBA insider and we're going to make beautiful radio together. <laughs> well, we already do that. You don't have to be an insider. Thank you, DA. So, interesting. So, you you that's a pretty hot take too. You walk into the doors and say, I want to be an NBA insider. And Marinick, uh, our assistant program director, says, okay. Or does he go, uh, all right, slow down, Shep. We need you to cut tape for the next couple of months. Are you cool with doing that? Well, well no. See, I, I never, I never said that to him. Okay. But I, I'm just telling you what I'm telling you what will happen. What your dream is. What will happen? Okay. Yes, because it has to start in your mind first. So here's the only thing, Shep. I love that you are a romantic. Right. I love that you are an optimist, uh, and I think that you believe the best in people. But you just saw a job disintegrate. Because the funding wasn't there and people didn't care. And that's an unfortunate reality. Right. That, I'm sure, crushes you because you would believe the best in people. So after that experience, are you a little bit more ready to realize or recognize or admit that the world is not as Pollyanna as if I say it's going to happen, it's going to happen? Or do you still believe that power of positive thinking can create anything? Can I give you really two quick examples? Sure. So Colonel Sanders was... 70 years KFC? old. KFC? Yeah, Colonel, Colonel Sanders, Sanders, 70 years old. He went over to a thousand different restaurants. Uh-huh. All of them laughed in his face. Okay. By the a thousand and tenth time, someone finally took a chance on him. There he was counted 1,000 no's, huh? Over 1,000 no's. And he had the recipe and he had the heart and still no one took him seriously. There's a guy, I'm not going to tell you who it is, there's a guy and he had he was down on his luck and he checked himself into a mental hospital. Okay, and the only reason he did that was because the one thing he had going for him, the love of his life, broke up with him, and he found a purpose. Now he remember he's coming from a mental hospital, and the person eventually came Billy Joel. So Thomas Edison tried over ten thousand times to invent the light bulb. Billy Joel was in the mental institution. Mm-hmm. He was in a mental hospital. Billy Joel was in a mental hospital mm-hmm. before he became Billy Joel. a rock star. Mm-hmm. I did not realize that. What mm-hmm. was he dealing with? Uh, just mental health issues. You know, he was down on his depression. Leg. Oh, but but depression because of the state of life he was in. Yeah, you know Thomas Edison failed over ten thousand times, but every time he failed, he was that much closer to success. And I know at thirty-one years old, someone may look at me sideways and say, "Dude, it's not that easy." But Da, I, I truly, be- I truly, truly believe that nobody is better than me, and I'm not better than anybody else. But you got to be willing to outwork everybody. And one of the things that you said, which I loved, is you see a lot of people get in this business and they get pessimistic and they get negative and they get burnt out and beat down. You have not had that yet, and you've had some success too. Don't get me wrong, but I'm I have the same mentality, the same veracity, the same ferociousness that you do. And DA, I promise you, if you put it out into the universe, it's gonna happen. I don't mean to sound like Levar Ball, <laughs> but 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 if you put it out to the universe, it's gonna happen. I mean, I wasn't even supposed to make it in radio. My best friend told me when I was 18 years old, I don't have a voice for radio. I suck. I can't get any thoughts or words or be able to um, permeate any conversation. Look what happened. I was told that I would never even get into Teach for America. 
ever. And I became, I became successful, and I don't want to brag, but I, I became very successful in that position. Well, I, you're an incredibly hard worker. Thank you. You are the single most transparent guy when it comes to true emotion. You are genuine to a fault to where I think sometimes you're too transparent because then people think start thinking you're kind of loony. Like you, there is a certain, I think, cover you have to have in modern society and in the workplace because if you don't, people start like thinking that you're just like in the clouds, you know? You don't even have that. I mean, you just lay it all out there, and so you get poked fun at a little bit for that. But, but can a sheep be a lion and a lion be a sheep? You gotta I be, don't know you gotta you be who you, you got to be who you are in this world. Agreed. Right. Agreed. No, so I am, I am not doubtful in the least that by virtue of your work ethic or your drive or the type of person you are that you could succeed. There are um, – you always have to be flexible, though. You always have to say, like, this is my dream, and I want to make this happen, but if another door opens, i got to be willing to walk through that, and maybe I have a different calling in life, and that's the, and that's the only thing. Sometimes I feel like you might be too adamant on something and then realize, and not realize that you might say, oh, I'm going to be an NBA insider, but what happens if you become an NBA assistant general manager? Would that be just as good? No. No. No, because because I love discussing the NBA. I love being well, in front of Well, you do that them. pretty much every day if you're an assistant general manager, if you're working in the NBA. But I love confrontation. I love debate. I love good, healthy, con- uh, you know, conversation. Okay. And But, yeah, you know, there's a lot. I mean, you're one of, I mean, I'm, and I'm, I'm not being facetious when I say this. I'm not exaggerating. For your age, 38? 38. Going to be 39 in you're born a couple seven, weeks. You're born 79. 79. Happy birthday. So Thanks, you, you made it as a national radio host all over North America at 33, 34? Uh, let's see. We've been doing this five and a half years now. So, yeah, I guess 33. So for myself, uh, a young, aspiring NBA personality, hopefully nationally, for people that want to get into radio, for people that want to talk sports for a living, people that are, my, that are the kids that I taught, 16, 17, 18 years old, all they want to do is play sports, but then eventually debate like Stephen A., Skip, et cetera. What is the best piece of advice that you can offer them? To me, this is the only piece of advice. Well, it's the most important piece of advice. Say yes. Every step along the way, I said yes, because I didn't know where this thing was going to take me. I took a dream that was, I want to work in sports media. I liked thinking about sports. I liked writing about sports. I liked speaking sports. But I didn't have a, I have to do that. And so every step along the way, I just kept saying, yes. Will you do this job for no money? Yes. Will you do an overnight shift? Yes. Will you write? Yes. Will you take this internship? Yes. Will you drive an hour and a half? Yes. And that began opening doors for me that I didn't know they were going to open. I didn't know I was going to be a sports talk host. When I was growing up, I didn't like sports talk. I thought it was two old guys usually yelling at themselves or listeners. I said, that's not what I want to do. That's not where my heart is. But I kept saying yes to opportunities. I was put in front of a microphone, and I realized, well, I'm not bad at this, and I can steer a conversation differently than old guys yelling at one another. So I could develop my style and my show. I thought maybe I would do play-by-play. I thought when I was growing up, I loved sports center anchors. I loved Craig Kilborn. I loved Patrick and Olbermann. I said, that could be what I would do. But I always kept saying yes. So... Saying yes brought me to a school that had a communications program, and saying yes brought me to a small town in Florida where I was 
paid $18,000 a year and saying yes brought me to a city in Kansas City that I had never been to before and saying yes brought me to overnights here in New York for CBS Sports Radio and I had never worked overnights before. Saying yes brought me all along the way and still does and that's the most important thing. By that, if you had a job to be the NBA insider in Sacramento, are you saying yes tomorrow? I'm saying yes now. Okay. Now I would find a way to integrate education into all of this. Because totally fine. That, that's your, but, but but you're willing to go anywhere, do anything. But what? Because that's the key. What lights me up? What lights me up is sports and and having an honest dialogue. Sure. That's deep and enduring. But uh, you have to also be pragmatic. If right. you want to be a nationally syndicated NBA insider, right? Are you willing to start in Memphis and be the Grizzlies insider? I'm willing to start in Canada. Okay, so you're willing for ten bucks an hour to be the insider of the El Paso Red Ants? Yes. Okay. If it's yeah, can I? Can so I ask now a, you got to start sending out those resumes so, and connected with those people. Can I ask a follow up question? Of course. So there's 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 a lot of people that are willing to work that Christmas overnight. There's a lot of people that are willing to do the New Year's, etc. But not not every, a lot. Some you believe that. Yeah, I've seen it. So so let's say there's a million people that want to work in sports, okay? Uh-huh. And then let's say 1% of those are willing to say yes. So that's 10,000 people that you're dealing with. But you were not one of 10,000. You were one of maybe 20, 30. What allowed you to get the opportunities to say yes? What made you so good? Well, look, I had a purpose early. You talk about a purpose. Right. I knew at 14 or 15, this is what I wanted to do. So I began working towards this when I was in a sophomore in high school. I called my cable access station uh, in my small town where I grew up, and I said, you've got our high school football games on. I want to do that. And they said, oh, yeah, you want to do that? Okay, kid, yeah. And I was kind of naive. All right. Well, come by the station, grab a video camera, and we need you to go call girls soccer. Okay, yeah. So I took the you know the the rosters out there, and I filmed my own games, and I did it into a microphone, and I brought back the VHS tape, and I said, I did it. Now you got to put it on the air. And they did, and they started using me as free labor. But I was also 15 years old, and so by the time I got to college, I had developed a little bit of something. I polished something. I got to college, and at Syracuse, it's so hyper-competitive, They were like, okay, yeah, all right, you're on student radio. You won't be on the air. You'll only write, and you'll get critiqued, and you'll be a gopher, but you won't be on the air. And so a full year had to go by that I got critiqued by seniors and juniors until I was ready to be on the air. Then I had to get cleared for doing play-by-play. Then by the time I got out of college, I had some type of resume and some type of polish around my my ability, but I was only 21. Now, that's 17, 18 years ago now. It takes a while. It is, I think people want things immediately in 2018. I think the internet has created this urgency that I could be on YouTube and I can do a podcast and I'm, I'm the same. And in reality, it will take you a long time, A, to get listened to, B, to develop your style, and C, be comfortable enough to where this is who I am. If you think about that, if you started today and you have a background already because you worked with Scott Farrell and you've uh, you've put in time here, but if you started today where I was at 15 years old, that is now 23 years ago. In 23 years, which is 2041, you would be where I am right now. Right. It doesn't happen overnight, and people don't want to hear it's going to take you until 2041. 
Now, I was appreciative every step of the way because every job that I got, I thought was the best job ever. I was thrilled. I pinched myself when I made $18,000 a year in Fort Myers because I said, I get, I make money, I get paid every two weeks, and I got health care. Awesome. I can live on eighteen grand. So I just don't know how many people are then wired to that reality of, are you ready now to go five different places and work 10 different shifts and not get paid a lot of money, knowing that the payoff is 20 years from now? I don't know. A lot of people aren't willing. And, and now, you, today, you got to work Christmas Eve, too. So I got to work Christmas Eve. I make no money, and there is no guaranteed payoff. I think a lot of people just say, eh, screw this. I'll become an accountant. And hell, there were times I started thinking, eh, maybe I should become an accountant, you right. know, because those realities sometimes suck. But a lot of, uh, you know, the people that stick it out, I've always said this, the, the industry is full of grinders. The industry is full of people that just kept saying yes and not saying no. You see, there's people in this industry that aren't very talented, but they just kept at it. Except for CBS and the fan. No, I think there's grinders here too, you know? Right. I think the industry, you know, and it might be in a producer's role. Right. It might be in an update role. It might be in a... PD role, program director. But there's always room for somebody that just refuses to say no. You just do have to alter sometimes your ultimate dream and be flexible as the road kind of unfolds in front of you. But it's funny because you said with the next generation, so the guys coming up early 20s, mid-20s, I just missed that cut. So I didn't have Facebook in high school. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't have Instagram. So it wasn't a really look at me, look at me, I'm stuck in my phone. I don't know how to communicate. Do you see that motivation waning as the next generation comes up? I don't think so. I work with a bunch of the the kids that come through Syracuse. I have a Syracuse website called the Orange Fizz, which is like a Syracuse news-based website. And so my writers, my staff is always Syracuse students. So I get to see the next generation of broadcasters every year. And I hear all this stuff about millennials and about lack of work ethic and about entitlement. And I think kids have really been the same forever. I think my class had a bunch of guys that was tough to motivate too. And that was... Class of 2001. I don't right. think the class of 2021 is that different. Some guys are internally motivated and driven. Some guys or gals are not. Some people have a lot of talent. Some people don't, but they maximize what little they do have. I think that pie chart's the same. Uh, I think old people don't get young people more than ever before because technology changed everything. Because old people don't necessarily get social media. They don't understand Snapchat. They don't understand that. And so it feels like there's a bigger divide. If you go back to the 50s, the baby boomers now that don't get millennials, their parents were the parents of the war that didn't get baby boomers. Right. So I don't think any of that's changed. I do think this changed. If I'm 21 years old and I just graduated from, pick your school, Indiana. That's where Scotty Farrell went. Sure. Graduates, he comes out. And Scotty Farrell, in 1988, I think he graduated, something like that, late 80s, because he was around at that 87 Final Four run. Yes, good memory. He comes out of school and goes, well, i got to go get a job writing in the newspaper, high school scores. Or he goes, uh, I've got to get a, uh, a job doing um, you know, uh, new, news updates on a news talk radio station in a small city. And I've got to go to um, French Lick, or I've got to go to... Uh, you know, Dothan, Alabama, or I've got to go to Zanesville, Ohio. And myself, I thought the same thing. Those were the only options. That's how you build a career. If you're coming out today in 2020 as a graduate of, of Indiana, 
you go, well, I'll just have a podcast and everybody will hear it. Or I'll just be on YouTube and everybody's going to watch it. Or, um, you know, I'll just build my career that way. And I'm not saying that's the wrong way. I just think you lack the patience because you already technologically have all the tools to be your own television station, to be your own radio station. I think that's cool, but I think that might... It dilutes the market. Maybe. I think it... I think sometimes it alters the reality. Okay. Because how many people in our business do you see that built their brand on YouTube versus worked at small radio stations. Well, Simmons kind of, you know, Simmons... Simmons broke the mold. Broke the mold. Yes. And it, it, it it's a shame because he's really fallen by the wayside. I don't think so. I, I don't think... I, I don't know how... I don't know many people that read The Ringer. Well, I, I really... It's I, not attached to ESPN like Grantland was, so it's right. not going to naturally have that right. funnel. Right. I mean, when was the last time you even saw Bill Simmons on television? No, but I don't think he's chosen to do television because once he left ESPN, well, he, well, he, he was, had the HBO he, show. Yeah, he had a failed HBO show. So certainly the guy wanted to do television. Yeah. But it is interesting because he did break the mold, and now it's like he fell by the wayside. Now everyone's kind of capitalizing on what he did. Yeah, there. I mean, there's a way to build a brand. I mean, Barstool Sports is a good example. They built a brand and an empire on digital alone. Right. On new media alone. Right. So it can be done. But does a kid come out of Indiana today or New Mexico today um, or a community college and say, okay, I want to do the next Barstool Sports? Well, I know Dave Portnoy, who is the L Prez from Barstool Sports, because he started in Boston. He's a Boston guy. So I got to know him in 2009 when I, would, uh, when I first got up there, and he was just starting to get traction. He was handing out flyers outside the subway that had his little news and notes and betting tips in it. He did that to start getting a brand and started a website and then developed a website. You don't just come out of school and create a barstool sports. Right. You know, even though you have the internet in front of you and you can build a website. So I just don't know if that has skewed reality for people. It, it should open up opportunities. I don't know if it has skewed reality. That is, I think, the biggest difference. Gotcha. It's a good, this is a good uh, education, man. You should teach some classes. There's not enough people that are talented in this field that teach those classes. It's more... You only see professors doing it, you know. What? Tell me about the uh, the sports talk class that you had down in uh, in high school uh, in Memphis. So, so if you want to connect to kids, uh, particularly in the inner city, you talk about sports; they're glued. You talk sports about, is connected to everybody, which is great. But particularly in the inner city, because they role model LeBron James, they can tell you every stat. Lebr- they can tell you about what he did at St. Vincent. They can tell you about what he did from '03 to 2010 with the Cavs, 10 to 14 with the Heat. And a lot of the athletes share their same upbringing oh, or yeah. their same common path of. Oh yeah. Single parent household, or grew up in the projects, or tough situation, and I got a basketball hoop down the street, and that's my out. I mean, a lot of those kids can relate to that. But it's funny because some of them cannot, like DA, like it's 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 flat out pathetic, and it's not pathetic on their part. It's just the system that's fallen and the cracks that come with it. They can't read, so kids are passed through the system. They're just passed through. Sure, yeah, they are passed through because teachers don't want to deal with them. And so they get, keep getting passed, keep And there's passed. penalties to failing kids. You oh, have yes. to have graduating oh, yes. rates. You have to have graduating yes. classes. So whether yes. you fail the classes or not, we got to get you out of here. Doesn't matter. So you graduate from high school, you can't read. You don't know what the Bill of Rights are. You don't know what the three branches of government are. But the point is, when you bring up sports, that has them hooked. Everybody's fluent. Everyone, everyone's fluent. Everyone is skilled. Everyone is knowledgeable. For the first time in their lives, they feel like they're competent in something outside of playing a sport. 
And I'm telling you, DA, they can go and go and go, and I'll never see a head down with sports. You, you teach world history, you teach civics, you teach U.S. history. You're going to see three people with their heads down. You can be the greatest teacher in the entire world. You're going to see three people because they didn't get any sleep the night before, taking care of their siblings, and they're going to be down with their head and drooling for the whole class. But you teach sports, they'll find a way to sit up for that. But in terms of the club, what I would do is I would debate them. It was post, I, uh, uh, after the, after the uh, classes were over, end of the school day, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock? Something like uh, that? So I, I, would take them out of, I would take them out of classes. Okay. And I would get so permission. it happened during school hours. Yeah, well, here's the thing, DA. So you have a limited amount of teachers in these schools. So some of these kids have four study halls. <laughs> they got a nine period day for study halls. No, no, no. And there are five classes there, one of 40 kids in there. Five period day for study Come halls. Come on. I, that's it. But DA, but teachers don't want to work at these schools. So you have a limited amount of teachers, limited amount of faculty. So you have a 35. Four study halls. So they got one period of actual learning? Some of them. One period? S- some of them, yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, now that now now, if you're a senior, you can have up to two. You can have up to three to four, and out, out of I mean, but that's education, and you have uh, classes with 35, 40 kids, and if you go to different schools and schools that produce and schools that have tremendous testing results and schools that have high graduation rates and great college acceptances, they have about fifteen to eighteen for a class. Sure. Yeah. But I don't mean so, I don't mean so, to keep, so yeah. during. So during class, you would pull <laughs> study kids hall. out or yeah. during study hall, during study and, hall. and just kind of set up like a, a mock sports yeah. radio show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we, we, so they, their favorite show is they grew up on First Take. They don't. That's know, pretty amazing, huh? They, they that don't there's know about, a generation of kids that grew up on sp- First Take, right? And they don't know about they don't know about uh, sports reporters. You know, sure. they, they don't they don't know. Do they watch Undisputed too with Skip Bayless? Oh yeah, and so Jen- they, See, they, they they shouldn't be home watching this because that should be during school hours. But so, they're probably cutting. So we're <laughs> we're so we're a new tech school. Well, we were a new tech school. So that means basically you have to have computers out the whole time. So I mean, you could be as good of a teacher as you want. You cannot monitor thirty students at once. So I know they were watching Undisputed during class, or yeah. they'd be on Facebook, or they'd be on social media, or okay. Instagram. So they were definitely watching these shows during class. You do everything you can to not have that happen, sure. but it's just the reality. You got to pick your battles. Yeah. But they were watching Undisputed. They could tell you exactly what Skip's take is. And by the way, uh, I'm going to say this about Skip Bayless. He has done such a disservice <laughs> to the industry. I didn't think we we're going to skew it to yeah. Skip he Bayless. Done, he has done such a disservice. At some point, you lose credibility when everything you do is pick apart LeBron James. LeBron James is a third, second best player to ever live in yeah. existence on I, this I don't, planet. We don't need to gotcha. waste gotcha. airtime on why Skip is wrong about what am LeBron. I say, what am I going to say you on this uh, you know, two-way debate? PTIS kind of show. You know, it's not my bit. Maybe you and I can do some one day. It's just never been my bit. I, I look at that and... Uh, so that's a no? No, I'm just I just look at that and I go, that's not what I got into this thing for. It was not to yell at somebody from across a desk. Right. You know, it was to create, to give my ideas, because I always had a lot of ideas and thoughts about sports. I used to collect baseball cards and football cards and watch NFL films and watch games and have thoughts about the games, but I never wanted to argue with anybody. I, that never felt good to me, and now it's kind of silly that it becomes embrace debate as though you can't have a fluent sports conversation without two people battling. Right. Which is probably why I've never had a co-host. I've always wanted to be a solo host, and why nobody's ever put a co-host with me is because I, that's not something I've ever really wanted to do, and I find those shows to be so artificial because they're finding the stories that you disagree with. And look, if I was producing them, I would do the same thing. I wouldn't say like, oh, you guys agree on all of these? Let's do those stories. I would go, 
oh, you're totally disagreeing on these, so let's do those stories because that makes better entertainment in terms of people fighting. But ugh, I just that's just has never been in my blood. But you grew up on a show that did something similar to that, and you had the access at 17, which was incredible, and obviously I've seen it many times on YouTube. What, Mike and the Mad Dog? Mike and the Mad Dog. Well, so here's an interesting insight. Right. Um, that's a good connection made by you. Good job by you. I, I've seen I've seen better impressions, DA. I know. I'm sorry. I've listened to sports talk. Right. I listened to sports talk, and the fan, the fan in New York was the only thing I got to hear sports talk-wise when I was growing up. And what did I tell you before? I didn't want to be a sports talk host. Right. You wanted to do play by, right. I thought Mike and the Mad Dog were wildly entertaining. I, I thought that Mike versus Mad Dog was really interesting, compelling radio. But I couldn't be Mike and I couldn't be Mad Dog. I was neither one of those guys. Th right. That wasn't my personality. Right. So that wasn't what I dreamt about doing. A lot of kids in New York dreamt about being Mike and the Mad Dog. I said, that's, that's not how I talk about sports. I think it's interesting to listen to. They're cultural icons. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they are incredibly influential figures. But that never resonated with what I wanted my career to be. And I've always felt like WFAN, at least in those days, was outside of Mike and the Mad Dog, largely guys yelling at one another, guys yelling at callers, going over the same trade deadline possibilities a uh, 100 days in a row. Right. Bagging on the Mets relief core or uh, the Jets quarterback situation for right. months on end. Right. I said, that's not what I want to do. And so what I do today is so different than that. Today, I would have 10 different stories than I would have tomorrow, which are 10 different stories than I would have on next Monday. Right. 10 different stories every single day. Th that's how I want to present sports is that there's this incredible melting pot of stories and personalities and uh, and drama, and you can pick all of it and listen and l like all of it. You don't have to just bag on the same guy right. over. Right. This coach is a bum. How right. many times can Todd <laughs> Bowles be called a bum on WFAN? Right. right, right. But that's a lot of sports talk radio in the country. That's fair. Do you work as hard today as, as you did when you were grinding at 22, 23 years old? It's hard to say because my hours are so different. I'd like right. to think so. I mean, when I was 22 in, uh, in Fort Myers, my... Uh, Schedule consisted of waking up at uh, 5 in the morning, getting into the office by 6 because we had a morning show at 7, and I wrote updates, delivered updates. I was the board op and the producer, so I booked guests as well. That was my day until the morning show was off the air at 10. From 10 until noon, I still did updates and anchored, uh, so every 20 minutes or half hour, we'd do the update. And then between noon and 2, I would produce another show, the lunch show, and so uh, the, the midday show. Then at two, I would have to kind of like merge the logs, as they say, which is get the commercials into the commercial breaks. I would do some production for commercials and I would staff the board ops. So that happened. That was my seven until three shift. And then I would go home for an hour or two and sleep and get a nap in before I hosted a night show, which was an hour like twice or three times a week. So my hours were just insane. I wasn't getting a lot of sleep. So that was a lot of effort, but I couldn't spend a lot of effort on my show because I was spending it on everything else. Today, I spend hours on my show, but I'm not running all across the city trying to get a, trying to sleep, trying to schedule right. this. Right. So I think you work harder in different ways. I think it's a different kind of work hard. It's uh, it's interesting. You know, it's it's funny when you when you want to be. When you want to be a sports host and you get inspired by other people, you know you really want to do something like this. 
So it, it, it's cool to hear your perspective, the adversity you've been through, what you've made uh, in this industry. Again, I'm gonna I'm gonna harp back to it. I would love to see, I would love to see you on television. <laughs> I would love to see you on television. Now, Mraz has walked in. He's now done meeting with his other show. He's going to get ready. We're still going on here. You're still going. My other hosts were like, oh, what's going on in here? I said, well. The- oh, do they have to get in here? Yeah. Oh, right. They host from here. Okay. Yes. That wraps up side A. <laughs> Shep, it's good to have you back, buddy. Thank you. Thank it's you good to have ha- you back. Thank you for having this me. This is yeah. a lot of fun. Yes, sir. All right. Side B coming up now. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. All right, welcome into side B of the PGP. I'm very excited for today. I am Araz, the host of side B. And uh, I guess I'm the executive producer of the DA show. I do a pretty good job. I came up guest list on Monday, so that was pretty good. Uh, guest list. And, but I do have a guest here with me today. It's Andrew Bogish. After Pete Pilates said, quote, why don't you put Bogish on the next couple weeks? You never know what's going on inside Pete Pilates' head. But, Andrew Bogish, I'm glad you're here not telling me no. Well, um, once again, thank you for bringing me in when only you had no one else to talk to. I remain nope. flattered by your invitation. No, no, no. I'm going to be honest. I planned on asking you anyway. Mm. Maybe Pete was aware I was going to ask you anyway. And to make himself feel better, got out ahead of the story by saying, why don't you ask Bogish? Well... That's the thing, when you work next to Pete, and I would never say this to his face, you never know like what he's thinking. Like, what is going through his head? Right, and I, I don't want to know, except there are times where the things that come out of his mouth that were once in his head, then I need explanations on how they became thoughts and feelings and emotions and then statements. But the thing is, there's no, there's no satisfaction at the end because you're just going to remain confused. By our lovely Pete. Yeah, and Pete's one of those people who I've always looked at and I thought, man, he's just like the nice guy. You know, always the nice guy. Maybe he gets stepped over sometimes because he's the nice guy. But no matter what day I walk in there to do the show with him, and he's always very funny with the drops, I'll give him that. He always turns on the switch. But those first 10 minutes when you walk in and the show's about to repair and I look at Pete and I'm talking to him for the day, I have no idea what I'm getting out of him as far as right. who is he, because he's always mad at somebody. Right. What is he mad at in life? Who's And did I do anything? Well, and That's again, sad. I shouldn't have to question, did I do anything? I've told you this before. You continue, and don't mess this up, you continue to benefit from not being Mike Biseglia, who is the producer <laughs> of Taz and The Moose, which precedes the DA show uh, on most of our beautiful CBS Sports Radio affiliates. Um, he is the brunt of Pete's angst. So as long as you're not Mike, and as long as you don't flip this dynamic, you should be good, even after that initial you know, confusion. I wonder if that's because Mike's the first, because Pete works back-to-back shows, Taz and the Moose, and us, and I wonder if because Mike's there first, he gets the brunt of it, and he's just happy to see me because he knows his day's almost over. No, I don't, th- I don't think it's chronological. I think it would exist if the shows changed times. Originally here on CBS Sports Radio... Huh. Um, his angst was directed towards John Feinstein, so then, therefore, the morning show of Tiki Barber, Brandon Tierney, and Dana Jacobson was his safe place. That's a throwback Thursday. That's like yeah. wearing a Seattle Supersonics jersey yeah. when you bring up that show. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. One quick question here as yeah, we get please. into this a little bit. Yesterday, DA continues to amaze and confuse me with his rules. A uh, big discussion last week was about how he didn't want me touching the donuts that came in that day, and we had to split it. When I did, he refused to eat one. But 
then at the same time, people I didn't want to have half a sandwich I was going to have, but had half of DA's. So it brought up a good discussion as far as how disgusting am I. But then DA counteracts this this week by admitting that he would absolutely continue to drink out of the Stanley Cup and do keg stands if he won, even though he is disgusted by everything. But then at the same time, forced me just yesterday, Monday morning, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. to pick up all of Jody Mac's horse betting tickets and count them. He did not even want to touch them, not knowing where they were. And I, these the rules DA is making about what skeeves him out and what doesn't really is bothering me. And the only thing, and I, I re- tossed and turned on this, I'm going to pitch this to you. The only thing I narrowed it down is that now there are two people that gross him out, me and Jody Mack, but anything else, even if it's TJ Oshie licking the side of the cup, is okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think he should be as grossed out by you as he appears to be. Right. Otherwise, all of his logic makes sense to me. I wouldn't probably have touched Jody Mack's betting slips. You wouldn't have either? I, I still, we don't know why he coughs like that. So I don't know that I'd want to touch. So you just think he's hacked a loogie all over these exactly. betting slips. And that's a, a lot of residue, oh. something like that. Now and we and we made the seventeen betting slips. We counted yeah. them up. Jody Mack bet at least eighty six dollars on the right. Belmont Stakes, leaves him behind. But see, I never thought twice when I came in the host Sunday morning. I saw those slips there, and I thought, as producer of the DA show, right, which you you know you can hear me Monday through Friday nine until noon Eastern producing such a program. I thought it was in our our best interest to make sure I handled those tickets yeah. and said Jody Mack's become a running bit. We have to talk about this, and we did. But the idea that I didn't think twice about picking up those tickets, I don't understand why DA... And even when I brought them to DA because I wanted him to look at him, he just would not touch right. them. No, I, I think DA and to a lesser extent me are being overly cautious about what might be on the papers. You did not put yourself in any real danger by picking them up. You didn't need to go like get a cup and like some kind of like uh, tweezers or chopsticks to lift them up and, and put them in some kind of bag you could seal. They're not that dirty. All right, well, that's going to beg the question, and we should pose this question to the listeners. Mm. Uh, and you can tweet at me, at CBS and tweet at Andrew Bogish, at Andrew Bogish. If, if you got stuck on a deserted island with myself and Jody Mack, who would you be less likely to share food with? Wow. That's a tough one. Um, we're front of the, Is it a tough one? Well, that's offensive. You know what? It just took me 10 seconds to think about that. That's offensive to me. If we're on a deserted island, I don't think I'm holding back with either one of you. Eating is the most significant thing at this point. All right, forget deserted so, island. Me, Jody Mack, and you go out to dinner. Me, Jody Mack, and insert whoever's listening here go out to dinner. Right. We're going to, one of us doesn't want an appetizer, the other two do. Who right. would you be most likely to split an appetizer with? Well, you. Okay, so you're not thinking twice about that. Yeah. So, like, if I put my hands on something, Jody Mack puts his hands on something. The moment We're, Jody Mack reaches in, you're less likely to eat more. Yeah, and, the, and to be honest, the the cigarette smoking might be the bigger turnoff for me with Jody Mack. Just right, I'm not just, a cig smoker. I never take yeah, a little drag. Yeah, just, I can't. It's a terrible smell, and it just it grosses me out. And it's all over your body. Like, I don't miss the fact that you can't smoke in bars anymore here in New York City. Oh. I think it's a great thing. I don't leave places smelling like a chimney. It's a yeah. great thing. I'm watching a Netflix documentary where they had a couple airplane scenes of the people smoking on airplanes. Yeah. Like, what were we thinking back then? I know. How how imagine being you know 13 hours to Hawaii and there's you know the Marlboro Man sitting next to you and you're yeah in this tiny long skinny box flying oh. with no ventilation. There's just smoke. Everywhere. How gross is that? It's disgusting. And Jody Mac basically lives that kind of life where he's like bathing in Marlboro smoke. Yeah. And uh, I love Jody. He's from that generation. But, okay, so you would vote me. I think DA would 
rather split the app with Jody Mack, though. No, 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 no. You, you don't think so? No. Because DA's had multiple chances to share with me, and it was, this was only the first time. Maybe DA wouldn't have thought about that until hearing Jody Mack's wet platypus stepping on sneeze, <laughs> and then now he really is grossed out by it, but... I don't get, I mean, to not want to touch the tickets, I just found to be uh, a behavioral problem, I think, that a psychiatrist needs to examine. I don't know if I go that far. I don't know if it needs help. But, I mean, huh. he probably was being a little too cautious. Because, don't forget, too, this is now almost 48 hours later. Whatever might have been on the ticket probably had died by Monday morning. Yeah, and by the way, those tickets at least spent 12 hours from the time Jody left Saturday night to the time I took them to my mailbox. At least spent 12 hours sitting right next to the same microphone DA was speaking in. Right. So if DA really cared about the germs, he would move his seat and do the show from another microphone mm-hmm. station. Right. But, see, this is where I think DA's a fraud germaphobe. It's, he only looks at the direct stuff. He doesn't think about it in those terms. No, this Whatever is... creepy, crawly, you know, tobacco, whatever, had crawled onto that mic stand that he was now touching. When you lay it out like that. Uh, it's a fair point. Like, go all in or don't it's go. A fair point. Or don't go at all. You know, be right. be our good friend Rich Ackerman, who basically sets fire to everything before he uses it to kill whatever might be on a keyboard, a mouse, a microphone before he touches it. Even Taz and the Moose have that weird Bengay sp- smelling spray. Uh-huh. They walk in and they spritz everywhere just to kind of degross out the room. DA does none of those daily, regular maintenance routines. So if you're not going to do that, you're right. Why pick these random battles against paper in your hands? Right, and this is where DA, I love, longtime friend, done a lot for me in my career, has some weird tendencies. Right. Number I one, mean, we all do. Uh, this has been mentioned maybe 100 PGPs ago, and maybe the new crew that we've been here for a year isn't re- aware of this. Mm-hmm. Are you aware that DA uh, scotch tapes a quarter or some kind of coin to his chest before every show? You know, I've seen I, – I, I asked you once about it because I saw the hand <laughs> and the tape going in, and I actually thought that he was putting the tape over <laughs> over his nipples <laughs> <laughs> to somehow keep – them from getting perky on the stream cameras. Do so you think he's worried about hard nips on the stream? Like <laughs> Kaplan's going to zoom in on so his headlights flashing? It's more possible that he's taping a lucky coin to his chest. <laughs> that should have been my coin. <laughs> not a lucky coin. No, this is something new listeners may not be aware of this. Me and Kenny Brock, Kenny Brock and I, the first couple months that we DA show launched nationally, we would see him do this before every overnight show. Right. And we would talk about it every single day without DA knowing, being like, what the heck is this crazy kook doing? Why is he doing this? So finally, we did a rock, paper, scissors bet. I mean, this is hand, truth, the whole deal. Mm-hmm. Who's going to have the nerve to ask DA what the heck he's doing? Because he's driving us nuts and we right. think he's crazy. And uh, I think I lost it and I finally asked him. And DA laughed that we asked him. And I, you know what's so funny? Now I've forgotten the exact answer. I think it's something about negative energy in the room or... Ion, hey, you know what? He's going to listen. Feng Shui. Like, right. He's going like, to listen to this and he's going to explain it again. But yeah, it's not to hide his headlights from flashing on the stream where Andrew Kaplan can zoom in at watchda.com. I'd actually prefer that to the, the mystical coin, I think. <laughs> A lucky quarter. Where is this? Where's the coin from? Uh, I don't know. I think it's one of those 50 state quarters. I think he's got Montana that he's. Uh, it's the he's same got, one every day? I'm pretty sure. So, I mean, this just speaks to it. So he'll do that, but maybe he thinks that quarter is somehow protecting the black lung that Jody Max put on the microphone stand. But maybe somehow that lucky quarter <laughs> doesn't protect against touching the, the betting slips from Parks Casino. Oh. 
This That's is the life guy. we live. That's, That's our guy. guy. That's our I guy. think we should leave it like that on a high note here on Side I'm going to go ask him right now what's going on. Well, I need to know. I can't wait. I mean, we're taping this on Tuesday morning. You're not going to see him right now because Gary Parrish is about to do the show. I'm going to ask him as soon as I see him. Okay. How about rip that? his shirt open and go, what the heck is that? What is that? Yeah. <laughs> you can follow Andrew Bogus on Twitter. At Andrew Bogus is a C in there, so go make sure you search right. Don't get but the fake where Bogus. where is the C? I don't even know. I don't even know how to spell your name. You can tweet at me, at CBS. Have a great weekend, everyone. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.